Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. People don't seek out information from the news. They tend to seek out confirmation from the news. And with the search engine coupled to a universe of like-minded people, you can find yourself almost chronically incorrect. If you don't fight against it, you're going to slowly erode into a more extreme viewpoint on just about everything. What if we had a show about solutions? Not the same old left versus right. I am right, I'm right. and you are wrong. Yeah. Boring. <laughs> yeah, something new. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. Yeah. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Richard, ever since we launched our show, we've, we've tried to find a way to meet in the middle and get people from different sides of political issues to get together. And we keep coming up against this problem of tribalism, right? Exactly. Of, of the way the country so deeply divided into tribes, whether it be liberals or conservatives or some other form of barrier between people. And it seems to be getting worse. Part of the problem is this thing called selection bias. That if you hold a certain viewpoint, you just look for the evidence that confirms your viewpoint and you ignore the evidence that doesn't. So joining us today is David McRaney, the host of the popular podcast, You Are Not So Smart. He calls his show a celebration of self-delusion. Uh, David is also the author of two books, You Are Not So Smart and You Are Now Less Dumb. And he's got some really interesting ideas how we as individuals can do a better job of opening our minds up to viewpoints that aren't so comfortable for us. So let's find out what confirmation bias is and what it isn't. David McGraney joining us via Skype from Hattiesburg, Louisiana. Welcome, David. Hey, how are you? We are good, but we want to know what is confirmation bias. Uh, just, just walk us through that one. Okay, yeah. Well, it's the method that human brains prefer to receive new information and to seek out new information. So what usually happens is we have an emotion or an intuition concerning something that happens out in the natural world. And then we draw a conclusion about what is responsible for that natural effect or that new piece of information that, that we've run across. And then what we do is we try to seek supporting evidence to make our conclusions seem right or correct. So if you don't mind, I'd like to try to perform an experiment on you. Is that okay? Oh, okay, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. Most psychologists love doing this, don't they? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out three numbers. 
and all you have to do is figure out what secret rule I'm using to pick out those numbers. So here we go. Um, two, four, and six. I want you to try to imagine what rule would I be using to pick out these numbers. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it another time. I'm using my rule. 10, 12, and 14. And then one more time just to make sure that we're all on the same page. 24, 26, 28. Now, let me ask you, do you feel somewhat confident that you figured out my rule? Yeah. Okay. I feel, feel very confident. Well, knowing okay, that it's a, knowing that it's a, knowing that it's a <laughs> test, I, I feel like I could figure it out one possible rule, but there's probably okay. something else lurking in the background. Okay. All right. So all I'm, I'm going to ask you to do, all you have to do to prove to me that you figured out the rule is now you just use that rule and pick out three numbers of your own. All right. We'll say 32, 34, 36. All right. Fantastic. And fantastic. I just want to put this on the record. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> now here's not that here's, i'm competitive <laughs> so here is the beauty of confirmation bias if i didn't tell you anything else about this you'd live out the rest of your life not questioning anything about what you just went through but here's the problem here's some other sequences that correspond to my rule one two and three four five and six seven eight and nine okay because what you believed was my rule most likely is that it was Three numbers, you know, three even numbers right, in a row. Right, three even numbers in a row. But my actual rule is just any three numbers, one bigger than the last. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So what a happens? A broader is, set, right? Right. When I asked you to pick out three numbers, and you picked out three numbers using the even set that you believed it probably was, and then you received confirmation that that was correct, you didn't. Then people usually don't proceed to test again where they'll go, okay, that worked, but what about I try this sequence and this sequence and this sequence? And people only try to determine whether or not they're correct through confirming their assumptions, never disconfirming. And what happens is you start to build a very inaccurate model of the world. <laughs> okay, well, go give us, give us an example apart from this. A great example would be, let's say you believe that vaccines cause autism, and you get on Google and you start searching for confirmation of your hypothesis. You will find it. You will find so much information that confirms your hypothesis that you will never be able to read it all. And if you never go to the next step, if you don't try to determine whether or not, you know, if you stop at two, four, six, and you don't proceed to the next possible rule, then you will never find the disconfirming information or you are because you're the active process is all about confirming your hypothesis. Our producer, Miranda Schaefer's with us. David, you had yeah. an excellent example of this in your article explaining how there's a study done on purchasing trends on Amazon during the 2008 election. Could you oh, explain man. that a little bit more? There was a study done by Valdis Krebs, uh, and you can read more about it, I think, at orgnet.com. And he, what he did is he examined purchasing trends on Amazon during the 2008 election, and he found that people who's already supported Obama were the people who all the books that they bought about the electoral process were books that painted Obama in a positive light. And the people who disliked Obama only bought books that painted him in a negative light. And so they were focusing on one type of information because that was the information that played nice with their pre-existing attitudes. But according to this research and lots of other research when it comes to confirmation bias is that people don't seek out information from the news. They tend to seek out confirmation from the news. Mm -hmm. And if you, all you have to do is look at anyone's Facebook feed and as they're sharing stuff with you over and over again, it's always things that sort of confirm their worldview and try to also solidify the fact that we're cool, right? Yeah. 
of all the things I write about, and I've written you know two books about this, and I do this podcast about it, this is the foundational bias. This is the thing from which everything else springs because it's it is simply the natural default way that human brains try to make sense of the world. Yes, and I've seen this a lot in some of my work. I used to be editor of Popular Mechanics, and one of the projects we did was a big investigation of the 9-11 conspiracy theories back at a time when they really hadn't penetrated the mainstream too much. It was kind of an underground phenomenon. And I really, and so we basically fact-checked all the claims that these conspiracy theorists made. What was so interesting is you saw this play out in a very powerful way. There were all these websites with all this information that seemed to challenge the conventional mainstream view of the, of the attacks. And people would spend, they would become obsessed with it, and they would, mm-hmm. they would devote you know weeks and months to studying these things. But they only studied the facts that made sense to them. And they would ignore millions of, of facts that that right. that confirmed the, the mainstream view and 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 they would stop at that point. I mean they would almost actively reject anything that didn't fit that. And they would always have a reason for why they should reject it because, well, that comes from mainstream media. They're in on the conspiracy. Exactly. And when we published a big account showing that all these facts that they were using were themselves incorrect, then we were part of the conspiracy and they could completely <laughs> yes. reject everything that we said. This is almost a biological malfunction of the way a human brain tries to go down its logic tree to get to a conclusion when it comes to conspiracy theories. Because once you kind of locked into it, any information that seems to disconfirm the theory, you say, well, that's just part of the the operation that was put out there to throw us off of the path. And then any information that's missing, you say, is part of the cover up. One of the things that came to my mind was ants sometimes can get locked into what they call a death spiral where ants usually find their food and they find their way back to their nest by following the pheromone trail of the ant in front of them. But sometimes ants can kind of get stuck in a circle and what happens is the next ant follows it in a circle and the next, the next, and eventually the entire colony will be swirling like a hurricane and they'll die. And this uh, a conspiracy theorist is in a way locked into one of those things, and one of the drivers of that, instead of following a trail of pheromones, is that the human brain tends to default to confirmation bias whenever it seeks new information, and it can be really it can be a very powerful effect, as you can see with people who aren't even conspiracy theorists. They might just be extremely, um, um, they might be on the very extremes of the political. Sp- Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Spectrum. 
David, this is Miranda again. Okay, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. How does confirmation bias affect me day to day? Why is this important to me? It's very important because um, we tend to live in, in um, filter bubbles. This is sort of a natural tendency that's actually good. Uh, if you think about it evolutionarily or you think about the long period of time that we've been on this planet, confirmation bias is not that bad of a thing. I mean, for example, if you lose your keys and you want to find your keys, it's best to go with your hypothesis. So, like they're probably in the kitchen. You wouldn't try to looking everywhere you think they're not at first. You would simply try to find where they are. And that's a good strategy for all sorts of things, whether it's uh, hunter-gatherer behavior or, or whatever. Confirmation is not that bad of a strategy for individuals. It's just that in groups, confirmation become, can become very dangerous. So what human beings never had until relatively recently was the power of the Internet and of Google and smartphones and social media where we could not only retreat into enclaves of, of um, people who think the exact same things we do and therefore never be challenged and never face conflicting information that might damage our ideologies. We also can, that's sort of the passive world of the filter bubble. And then the active world is that when we learn something new about what's happened, we tend to go seek the confirmation through the most powerful tool that's ever been, which is the search engine. And with the search engine coupled to a universe of like-minded people, you can find yourself almost chronically incorrect. And it becomes very difficult to bust out of that if you don't actively pursue disconfirmation of your preconceived notions. And so if you don't fight against it, you're going to slowly erode into a more extreme viewpoint on just about everything. And we see that across the political spectrum right now with intense polarization. I see this daily with family members and friends on social media where they are, every news story becomes an opportunity to soapbox about why our side is right and their side is wrong. And rarely do we engage each other in a formal debate in which both sides become a little more knowledgeable and intelligent. That's what confirmation bias threatens the most. And that's so funny you say that because that's really what we're trying to do on how do we fix it is is to challenge, is reach back across that divide. I've done a lot of work on uh, disasters, both uh, outdoor it, it disasters like, um, you know, in mountaineering and, and also big industrial disasters like the BP oil spill. You see confirmation bias play a big part there. People are uh, lost in the wilderness and they've got a map, but they're not actually where they think they are. People who do orienteering called it bending the map. You look down this river valley that you're in. You're actually in the, this happened to me once. You're actually in the wrong river valley, but you look in, the, well, there's that mountain and there's that outcrop. I can see this on my topo map. Um, and yeah, well, maybe it's, you know, the river, it's, it's kind of going southwest and the map says it should be going southeast, but you almost start saying, well, maybe the mountain moved or maybe the outcrop eroded away <laughs> or something. And um, so you'll, and you'll confirm that you're in the right place, even though the map's telling you you're not. And you see this a lot when people do high risk activities like oil drilling day after day, they manage all these risks really well. They convince themselves they're really good at it, even though a part of it is good luck. And right. and then one day the methane comes surging up the drill string. They don't get that worried because 
it's never been a problem before. They've always controlled it. Next thing you know, their 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 rig is blowing up, and because people screened out the the information that was uncomfortable to them, didn't fit their model that they're really good at what they do. Yes, and and what immediately pops in my mind when you when you bring up that example, there's a new theory, a new model that's emerging called argumentation theory, is that we sort of we're probably best set up to work in moderately sized groups of people and and what that affords us is a lot of people who will tell us that we're wrong or a lot of people who will, who will argue with us they talked about it's, it's basically what happens in 12 angry men if you have a lot of people in a group and almost everybody is initially wrong like the 246 game we played earlier if 90% of people get that wrong but that one 10% sees the answer if they can argue effectively for their case the whole group will flip together and together everybody will be smarter for it. And the sort of the way we, the way we've set up our information structures has empowered individual bias and individual mistake making above group bias and group mistake making. And probably one of the better ways to, to mitigate it, its damaging effects will be to allow for more confrontation in our lives. And, and, and you see that somewhat. I know that people get confronted probably um, more often than they would have in the past if you just were sitting at home with your family. And you know, only at Thanksgiving dinner do you get confronted by the person <laughs> who says that Obama is, uh, <laughs> Obama is a secret Kenyan. In America, arguing can sometimes is synonymous with bickering. But if you think about it, arguing is is two people presenting two different perspectives and coming to a third that is a little bit better than either perspectives going in. Our guest is David McRaney of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. Let's talk solutions. Um, what can we do with this information? What can we do with a knowledge that confirmation bias could skew our views about important things? Well, first of all, let's get one thing completely out of the way, and that is you cannot remove this from your brain. When we're talking about heart disease, we, one of the solutions is not take the heart out of the body. <laughs> the, uh, the, so we've uh, all got confirmation bias, whether we like it or not. Right. And when it comes to confirmation bias, one of my friends and a great author, his name is Will Storr, he proposes this thought experiment. First, ask yourself this question. Are you right about everything that you believe? Now, if you're like most people, I would hope that your answer is No. The second part of this thought experiment is to ask yourself a second question, which is, what are you wrong about? And Will Storr writes, when he asked himself that second question, he was shocked to think that he couldn't think of anything he was wrong about. And, <laughs> and it would do us all good to um, do this right now, you know, to actually think, what are you wrong about? And be startled by the fact, this is not an exercise to figure out what you're wrong about. It's an exercise to be startled at the fact that you can't think of anything. Whenever you think you have an understanding of something, create an alternate explanation. Or if you see an alternate explanation out there in the world for something you already believe, lock into that and try to uh, acknowledge it. And you have to look for evidence that supports that alternate explanation. The scientific method suggests that instead of creating a conclusion, create a hypothesis. So you have that emotion or your intuition, and then you create a hypothesis. And then what you do is you try to immediately create a null hypothesis or several null hypotheses, other hypotheses that don't correlate with the one that you originally generated. They, and if they were true, then that would mean that your original one was incorrect. So then you seek information, evidence to support 
all these different hypotheses, and then you let the evidence be the guide to what is and what is not true. So individuals should use some form of scientific method to question their own biases. For some issues, let's say we're talking about how should we deal with a problem like climate change, it is definitely the best way to go because you just let the evidence argue against the evidence instead of the emotion argue against the emotion. It's very important that you invite the people who will confront you and and try to see their perspective. And instead of trying to argue your case, try to listen intensely, see if you can argue their case for them even better than they can argue it for themselves. So has there been an example where you completely changed your mind because you had a discussion with somebody? Sure. I think I used to be one of those people that did not understand anti-anxiety medications and antidepressants. I just never had it, had any of that sort of thing in my life. And so I was one of those people that made that this really crappy argument about how they just made people numb or something like that. But when I was actually tasked with writing about it, and then I had people in my life who used antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, and the more I started to learn how they work and how they're useful, um, I started to to feel out in the darkness the perimeter of my own ignorance in that regard. Uh, you mentioned the process of reporting and writing. As a journalist, one thing I think is all too rare in journalism is the is a, a form that I, I think of as the reported essay, as opposed to a pundit who just assembles a lot of facts that um, that promote her or his worldview. Someone who's really trying to argue a position, and then in the course of making that argument, really takes the time to engage the opposition, interview people who don't agree with the writer's thesis, and really do a fair representation of their argument. To me, those are the most persuasive essays. I can absolutely. And I, when I used to be an editor and I would help train new journalists, I, that used to be one of the first things I would explain to them. I was like, you are going to be, you're going to hit a crossroads in this story because almost every reporter does where you realize what you originally wanted the story to be about. You're not able to support that. And and what you're going to do. And and a lot of reporters just go, yeah, well, this is what I pitched. My editor has already knows I'm on this assignment. I'm just going to craft the story to sort of fit because I can, because I, all I have to do is include this and not include that. And even with something that you've studied for years, there's always room to um, reveal new pockets of ignorance. And I think that, <laughs> and, I th- and I think that that's like, this is the better way to go for me personally, is that I think that life is richer when we seek disconfirmation. And I think that everything that's good that's come to me when it comes to um, my understanding of myself, my place in the world, the context of other people and what they're experiencing, almost, almost all of it has come at the point of realizing I was wrong. David McRaney making a great argument for why he is not so smart. Yeah, looking for those, <laughs> looking for those pockets of ignorance. What a great phrase. Thanks very much for joining us on How Do We Fix It? David McRaney, uh, his podcast is You Are Not So Smart. You've written a couple of books as well. It's been a pleasure. We've learned a lot. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. Thanks, Thank David. That was great. Oh, was so much fun, man. Yeah. 
Jim, before we start our conversation, uh, we had another email, this one from Lucy, about our podcast a few weeks ago with Greg Lukianoff. I know it was one of your favorites. Is free speech on college campuses under attack? And she wondered, are we raising a generation of young people who feel like victims? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, well, clearly please, we are. <laughs> please keep those emails coming. We really like to hear them, and we want to know suggestions from uh, from you about future shows. Yeah. And, uh, one and- way to do it, you go to howdowefixit.me. And don't forget iTunes. We love those positive comments and ratings. They mean the world to us. And downloads are absolutely critical. All those things really help us build our audience. So thanks for joining us. So, Jim, I think one of the key things that David McRaney is saying is that in our lives, we're more like Kirk and less like Spock. Right. People often start with a sort of a moral intuition, and then they collect the facts that support their core orientation. Yeah, the Star Trek analogy that we're much more emotional in the way we go about our lives than we are rational. And, and that's often useful. But but his point is you collect information until you've proved to yourself that you're right, and then you stop looking for information. I've seen this on conspiracy theories. You see this in politics. And um, and you see it in journalism way too often. Yeah, I remember when the, the Internet started in 1995. People, a lot of people were really excited about it and said, this is terrific. We'll have so many different sources of information. We'll learn so much more. But what's happened instead, to some extent, was with a lot of people, they just pick the stuff that they like that confirms their view of the world and ignore everything else. Right, right. I mean, that information is there. You have to, you have to give it credit. But so are the abilities to sort. And I think Facebook, has been a huge driver of this. People collect their friends and the information they want. You also see a lot of it in academia. We did the show with Greg uh, Lukianoff about the, uh, the free the, speech on the, campus. The war on free speech. Well, part of that is wait a minute, there's some people out there we don't agree with. Let's keep them off our campus, not let them talk. So you can imagine people coming out of this bubble with no idea that there are arguments against their deeply cherished notion. And the other thing we do is we learn in groups. One of the biggest mistakes a lot of people of my age and slightly younger made right after the 2008 financial crisis was after stocks went down, and I know this as a financial reporter, after the stock market went down, a lot of people took their money out of the stock market. They actually sold at the worst possible time because they thought, Hell, the st- don't want to have anything to do with Wall Street. Stock market's a rigged casino. Uh, I'm taking all of my money out. And if they'd left their money in, they would have recouped all of their losses and then some. Right. Well, now, it might be a rigged casino, but it wasn't in your interest to get out. Yeah. But so I, so I, like, I like David's ideas about, um, about forcing yourself to not only see some data or, or some information you might not agree with, but try to really – here's what I thought was cool. You don't just listen. You try to – Make their arguments for them. Yeah. Um, and as journalists, we do that sometimes, and 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 it's very very effective. But I think that individuals can uh, can do this. And I actually think we have a, a responsibility to do it. Yeah, I think one of, uh, one of the arguments that he makes about twelve angry men. I served on a jury. And it was a very humbling and interesting process because I went in with one view mm-hmm. of, of the crime and the criminals who were on trial. And, and as a result of very rational arguments and different perspectives by jury members uh, from different walks of life, we came together and we changed our minds on exactly what happened. The bottom line here is a little bit of humility. 
You yeah. know, and I'm seeing this again and again in my work. People are overconfident, and the longer they feel they've been successful, the captain of the Titanic, Smith, exactly. He, not only had he never had an accident, he didn't even believe modern ships could sink. This was way before Titanic. He said this to the New York Times. The first major accident of his entire career, he went to the bottom. Well, I hopefully our show won't go to the bottom. It's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. <laughs> I'm Jim Meggs. I hope we're not ending on too gloomy a note here, but I just think it's fascinating. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and our engineer is Denise Barbarita in Mono Lisa Mono. Let's start this again. And and our our engineer is Denise Barbarita here at Mono Lisa Studios in beautiful uptown Manhattan. The show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for businesses and nonprofits. Thanks for joining us. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.